Right, I'm going to preach this now, but Josh, you had a prophetic word in the prayer meeting just before we uh, started. Uh, could you just come up on stage and share it? Um, so on the way here, um, we were listening to some worship music, and one of the songs was We Are The Broken, and it has uh, a line in the chorus that goes, so we are the broken, and then it says, we are the chosen. And I just feel like, um, although we're broken, like God has still chosen us, like we're still chosen to do God's work even though we're broken. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Josh, because um, you actually just summarized the whole message in a sentence, so that was good. Um, so uh, I was meant to be preaching from the book of Daniel today uh, in our Daniel series, which I've been hugely enjoying and hugely excited about, but I just felt directed to go somewhere else just for a one-off this week. And um, I'm going to be just talking from the story of King Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and chapter 30. If you've got a Bible, you could look at those chapters. I'm going to be looking at different verses in it. And I'm calling this message Messy Church, Messy World, because as Josh just mentioned, he said, actually, God chooses the broken. He chooses the messy as his means of blessing the world. And We're in a season of messiness in our world right now, aren't we, in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the consequences of the pandemic. Most of us can't plan more than a few weeks ahead at a time. And these are changing and uncertain times. And uh, even last week, as we were sort of hearing from Matthew and Anne, this this is a time of change for us as a church community as well. And we want to navigate those changes And King Hezekiah, the story of King Hezekiah, is going to help us do that. So let me just give you a quick snapshot of Hezekiah, because some of you are like, who's this guy? And uh, he is basically a standout king in the Old Testament. Israel uh, had three kings before it got divided. There was uh, King Saul, King David, King Solomon. Then it divided into two. The northern half became confusingly known as Israel, and the southern half became known as Judah. The kingdom of Israel never had a single good king in its whole existence. They all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Judah fared a little better in that it had four good kings, but mostly bad kings. Hezekiah was one of the good kings. Now, that meant that when a good king came along to the people of Judah, they were always picking up a load of mess because they'd always been preceded by kings who had led the people in idolatry and away from God. And by the time Hezekiah comes along, age 25, he has a 29-year reign, and the northern kingdom of Israel is fallen. The idolatry has got so bad, they've come under God's judgment, they've been scattered, the kingdom has fallen, and Judah isn't doing much better. It's heading that way for them as well, and the prophets are telling him it's heading them that way. But King Hezekiah, he turns things around for a generation, and he starts doing the right things, and he leads the people back towards God again. Judah was fragile, and it bears all the signs of this old covenant, which is failing and fading. This old way of relating to God, fading fast. It's temporary nature on display. But this King Hezekiah, he doesn't accept the status quo. He steps into the mess and he begins to sort it out. Does that sound like anybody we know? Well, that sounds like Jesus. And if you've met Jesus, he's the king who steps into our lives and our sinfulness. And he's not afraid of a bit of mess and 
If you're watching today and you're feeling a bit messy right now and a bit broken, he's good with that kind of thing. In fact, what you learn about Hezekiah is on day one of his reign, he starts sorting things out. And he wants to do that in your life. Come to Jesus as you are, but be aware of this. He is going to do stunning and wonderful things in your life if you let him. Jesus, unlike Hezekiah, Jesus' throne will last forever and ever, and his kingdom shall know no end. He's the mediator of a better covenant. The good news about Jesus, he's way better than Hezekiah ever was, even though Hezekiah is good. And he's not put off by a bit of my mess. Perfect people need not apply to be part of the church of Jesus. So today, King Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And King Hezekiah, he gives us an insight into how King Jesus is doing that amongst us today. And I've got uh, five, five things I want to talk about, right? Purification, invitation, participation, celebration, and restoration. Okay? Happy with that? Shall I go into a bit more detail? Yeah, okay. Right. Isn't it great to have people in the room? Isn't this so good? Loving it. Please come next week. We'd love to have you here uh, and to, to join these times. It's kind of weird not being able to sing together, but it's so much fun to actually be together. And it's so much more fun preaching. I've got to be honest, this is so much better than anything in the last six months. Anyway, uh, here's the first thing that King Hezekiah does. He purifies the temple. He purifies the people of God. Chapter 29, verse 3. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east side and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. So here was the situation. The temple doors had been shut and the lights were out. It's almost like nobody cared anymore. And yet this king comes along into a nation that doesn't really care anymore. And he says, it's time to turn on the lights and it's time to open the doors. He embarks on a clear out of the temple. It's full of idol worship furniture. And they take it and they basically throw it off the edge of a cliff. And he says, priests, I want you to do this. Let's get it all back to how it should be. There's a purification and a preparation that's happening to the temple. That purification, that, that preparation has ha- been happening to the people of God over this last season that we've been in. And it's been a hard season for so many. But do you know, Jesus has been working and purifying and, and working with his people to make us the beautiful, radiant people he wants us to be. He, uh, the, the word consecrate means to set yourself Apart, And these people, they began to see themselves differently. They began to see themselves as God's people again. Ephesians 5 says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. Jesus is purifying his church for himself. And he's been doing that through some really tough things. Because, do you know, when God needs to teach his church patience, do you know what he does? 
He teaches us patience by making us wait for things. <laughs> and it's felt like a season of waiting because God's been teaching us how to wait in faith and patience. And here's the amazing thing about this. It only took eight days. They, they did it super speedy. King Hezekiah didn't mess around. He said, I want this sorted out. And here's the wonderful thing about the Christian life. You don't need to wait around for years for God to do major change in your life. He can actually do that in quite a short period. Sometimes we lack ambition in our Christian life in that we think, oh, you know, maybe in three years' time I will get baptized. Maybe I'll feel ready by that point. Do you know you could do that now? You could do that next Sunday. You could do that today. Because let's not make long-term goals of things that should just be short-term things that we just need to fix and sort out. Maybe it's about giving generously to God and giving to church. Maybe this is time to just make that decision and to start to do that. Jesus has been using this last year to purify his church, to prune his church, to make us more fruitful and more beautiful, to prepare us for this season ahead. It's a season of restoring first love to the people of God so they really love him. It's a season of removing idols from our lives. But important to know as we talk about preparation, it doesn't end with preparation. Uh, I, I was... When the pandemic began, they cancelled all the school football. And my, my son, uh, Ben, he's 10 years old. He loves playing football. And it, it eventually came back after a couple of months, but it was just training because all the matches were cancelled. And he went along for a few weeks. And, and then I said, are we going to go to football today, Ben? He said, said no. Nah. He said, I don't really want to. And I said, oh, why? And he said, well, it's just no fun anymore because there's no matches. <laughs> And some of us feel that way. If we're always in a season of preparation, it feels like, well, this isn't fun anymore. God wants to say to us that his preparation leads to match day. His preparation leads to him using us. And this season is leading us into a bigger and more fruitful season. Um, Let me ask you the question, just so we haven't missed this last year and a half. What is the thing that God has taught you about himself over this last year? What's he taught you about yourself over this last year? What's he taught you about his church over the last year? What's he taught you about other people over this last year? You might want to write some answers to those questions as a response to this message. What's God been teaching me in this time of preparation so that I can use that going forward? Okay, that was point one, which was... Brilliant. Um, Purification, preparation, that's right. The second point is invitation. Uh, Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, the king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. That was a month late. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right to both the king and to the whole assembly, and they decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and to celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. Passover was the big celebration of Jewish life. God gave it to them as the very first feast when they crossed the, uh, the, the Red Sea, when they were delivered from Egypt, God gave them this feast to remember that this slave community 
of Jewish people had been rescued from slavery by God's mighty hand, and the Passover was something they were to always celebrate every year as the first thing in their year. And here's what's happened. It's already a month late. Imagine celebrating Christmas at the end of January. And this is kind of how it is for them. It's like, well, we've missed it. And Hezekiah says, we're going to do it anyway. And uh, it's a month later than planned, firstly because nobody had showed up, secondly because none of the leaders had showed up, and yet in the midst of this messiness of it being a month late and feeling a bit inappropriate, Hezekiah says, well, you know, rather than just do it for ourselves, like you'd expect, we're going to send the invitation out to everybody, and they sent the invitation out to all the tribes of Israel that had now fallen, that were now being scattered. And the invitation goes out that God wants you to come and celebrate with us. And some of them refused, many of them refused, but some of them came. I believe the church that Jesus is building in this time, it, it may feel messy at times because we feel like, well, we're just trying to get back to some normality here, just trying to grasp a few remnants of what we used to do as church together. I believe Jesus our king is saying, this is a time to invite others in as well. And he wants us, as, as we're also focusing on rebuilding and gathering, he wants us to remember those he would invite in at this time. This messy church that Jesus is building has blurred edges where invites go out, even when there's plenty of mess within and in our own lives. God doesn't want us to wait until we feel church is back. He wants us to share his invitation far and wide. I wonder, who does God want you to invite in this season ahead? Who's God putting on your heart who you could invite into a relationship with him, maybe onto a pod course or to come along to church or watch church online? Maybe you want to write that one down. Here's a a third uh, thing that we see in the life of Hezekiah. The principle is participation. Participation. Next slide, please. There we go. Uh, Verse 18. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves yet, they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Now, it's not just sounding messy, it's sounding stressy. The people that you've invited to come to the Passover have come, but they're not ready to celebrate it. They haven't done the rituals, they haven't done the preparation, they haven't cooked their lamb. Suddenly there's a load of burden being put on this other community, and and it sounds stressy and it sounds messy. The Passover is late, and it's not to the required standard. And when you read the Old Testament, God seems to care a lot about the standard. He seems to care a lot about how the Passover is celebrated. So King Hezekiah doesn't just blindly say, well, this doesn't matter. You know, we just need to just hang out. He prays to God. And he prays that God will see the heart, not the sin. And there's an exact parallel there for King Jesus. It says in Romans 8 that we have one who intercedes on our behalf. Do you know... He asked God to see our heart and not the sin. And more than that, even when our heart is impure and our motives are wrong, he actually purifies our motive and our heart to make it acceptable to God. We have a king who prays over us. 
Never let the mess of your life or your family situation disqualify you from participation in the family of God. Jesus has made a way. And don't let the mess of life stop you from participating, from inviting others in. You know, there's a, you know, the word participation, in the New Testament, the same word is translated fellowship. It, when they talked about fellowship in the New Testament, it meant participation, it meant to be a part. It meant to, in fact, the same word was used of fishing communities when, when Peter and, and uh, James and John, they had a fishing uh, participation, partnership. Koinonia is the Greek word. This is what church is meant to be. I know for the last year, we've got used to using phrases like watching church, but it was never meant to be a spectator sport. God is calling us back, King's Church, into life and community together. And I know we've been working so hard on that in our small groups and trying to do it where we can, but there's a fresh season ahead for us coming of participation together. Um, and uh, I just want to plug a brilliant book I've been reading the last couple of days called, um, uh, called Extraordinary Hospitality for Ordinary People. And um, it, it's just a brilliant book, very short, but written to really help us as we come out of a pandemic like this to think about, well, what does it mean to do life with people in a way that doesn't totally drain us of all of our energy and joy? And she says this in the, this is just one quote. She says, how can we show genuine, generous welcome without becoming exhausted, overburdened? We need to start by rejecting a worldly view of hospitality. Our goal is not to show off our homes or our cooking skills or lack of them, but our savior. And if, if that if that phrase excites you, then the rest of the book you will love. It's just an exposition of the gospel and what it looks like in real life to show love with other people, often who are very different to us. What does it look like for you to step into participation in this season ahead? Let me ask you that question in response to number three. Number four, it's a season of celebration. Verse 21 says, the Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing, while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. I love this. This isn't a sad occasion. This isn't people just mourning the fact this hasn't happened for years. There's genuine joy that is released when the people of God come together again. And they do it not just once. They do a Passover once, and it went well. And they said, let's do it again. And then seven days later, they do the same thing again. They just can't get enough of celebrating before God. There's music. There's dancing. There's singing. And if you want to know where this originates in the Bible, you'll find it in Exodus chapter 15, when following that first Passover, when the the Israelites leave Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and the very first thing they do is Moses leads all the people of Israel in a song and they sing it together and they dance with tambourines and they find joy in God. You know, sometimes as, as we've gone through this pandemic, there's just been this often thing of, you know, well, when are we going to be able to sing again? When are we going to be able to sing again? And, and sometimes you think, well, what is it about Christians and singing? You know, it's not that we have good voices on the whole. Some of us do. Carrie does. Um, but... It's not that we're like choristers or opera singers who just say, oh, we just love that kind of music. We love church because we just love to sing. No, it's not that. It's this, that 
we respond to the amazing revelation of the grace of God and what he's done in our lives and who he is. And that excites us so much that the only thing we can do in response is say, we just want to sing of his greatness. And it feels wrong not to. And just to get us back into this over these next couple of months, once we've finished our Daniel series, we felt it would be so helpful as a church to just have a series talking about the character of God and his personhood and, and just about him, just so it thrills our heart again, so that as the singing band begins to lift, that we can begin to sing with hearts full of admiration and love for God again. And uh, it's very exciting, by the way, that the singing band has begun to lift in parts of Scotland. And uh, uh, we've got friends in churches in New Frontiers across Scotland who are singing today. And uh, Mike McClester, who leads Hope Church in the Borders, he said they would be singing so loud today that we would hear them in Edinburgh. So I don't know if you heard them on the way in. Uh, I hope you did, and I hope they were singing that loud. But hopefully our time will be coming in a few weeks' time when we can sing together again. So let's get amazed at Jesus. Let's celebrate focused on the amazing goodness and grace of God as we gather and experience him again. Here's the final uh, thing that I'm going to focus on from the reign of Hezekiah, and it's this, it's restoration. Verse 22, Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For the seven days, they ate their assigned portion And offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So here's this moment between one Passover, which was pretty messy and a lot of hard work, and another Passover that was going to happen seven days later, which was also going to be a lot of hard work. And this king, he draws aside the people who have been doing all the work. He says, Those who have who have, have had a good understanding of the service of the Lord. It's basically those who've worked hard, those who've been exerting themselves for the sake of others. I want to talk to you for a moment. If you've found yourself busy and exhausted and weary over this last season, I know for many, for parents, it's been a challenging time. I know for people in their workplaces and Trying to work from home and do kind of hybrid working has been challenging. I know in church life, small group leading has been challenging. Ministry leading has been challenging. And here's a word for you today that the king just wants to take you aside and speak encouragingly to you. Isn't that great? The king comes alongside and he doesn't just whip them up and say, keep going, keep spinning the plates. He says, rest, rest. He gives them a holiday, seven days. And it's not just a holiday where he says, go and do your thing. He actually spends time. The the word encourage, it, it means to speak tenderly, to speak kindly, to comfort. This is what the king does to these tired Levites. He comforts them. He gets them. He encourages them. He's kind to them. He just says nice things to them. And all of those good things. When we're in the presence of the king and we experience his grace, that does our soul so much good. So I want to encourage you, if you're in any kind of area of responsibility in life, 
to know that our king doesn't drive you like a slave driver. He, he gives you rest. And I want to encourage you to take holiday. We're, we're coming into a season where things are opening up, but I want to encourage you, this is an important time where you take time to rest. And take time to rest and be with Jesus. Because he will come and meet with you. The nature of being a servant is that you very rarely feel like the job's done. But the king today, executive order says rest. Because there's another season ahead. And he wants you to be full of life for that season ahead. Um, <clears throat> we, we don't have time to talk about where this goes from here. But after the second Passover, people are so energized and so full of the joy of God and the life of God, they go throughout the land and they dismantle all the idol worship in the whole land. And they just do it. It says in verse 25, the entire assembly of Judah rejoiced, along with the priests and Levites, including the foreigners who had come from Israel and all those who resided in Judah. And there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and Levites stood to bless the people and God heard them for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. So this messy church, this messy people, they begin to spread God's kingdom and his power to a world in need. And God is recommissioning us in this season. But I love that this started in the place of prayer. That these Levites, and the Levites were the priestly tribe. In New Testament terms, we understand the priesthood as being all believers everywhere. You are a priest. This is what God calls them to do first. They stood to bless the people. And God heard them, for their prayers reached heaven and his holy dwelling place. So I want to encourage us, we're moving into a week of prayer in just over a week's time. And I'd love us to do this as a church family, as a church community, to lift our hands in prayer for our community, for our neighborhoods, for our city and for our nation at this time. And we can do that in confidence that even though we're not the finished article ourselves, God accepts our prayers through Jesus and he will heal our land as we pray to him. And let's keep praying that King Jesus keeps shaping us and making us the people he wants us to be. He's doing a great work. He's preparing us. He's inviting us. He's including us. He's celebrating over us. He's restoring us. How amazing is this king that he takes the broken and he makes them the chosen. He doesn't leave us in the mess. He leads us out of the mess.